Welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast, a place where we talk about the power of love and its creative expression in our lives. We talk about all things related to growth, positivity, and kindness. And I am your host, Corinne Kamara. Episode 60, Falling in Love with Your Journey. Jen Rosenbaum is a portrait photographer, author, podcaster, and breast cancer survivor. Through her work, She's helping women celebrate their unique femininity and helping breast cancer patients and survivors put their lives back together after cancer. In today's episode, Jen and I talk about our lives and the various ways this journey called life ebbs and flows. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. Today I have a wonderful guest, Jen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So we always start out the podcast talking about love. And my question to you is, when did you fall in love with yourself? Mm, Such a good question. Um, So I have a very specific moment that I can think of, but um, also I'd like to think that self-love is so much of a journey, just like relationships are right. There's like ebbs and flows. So some moments where like, yeah, I'm so in love with myself and who I am and, and knowing what I've done to get here. And other times it's like, oh, you again, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I wake up to you every day. I need a break, but, um, I will tell you that, um, I have a very specific moment that really stands out in my mind when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2017. And I had decided along with my doctors that a bilateral mastectomy was the way to go for my treatment and part of my treatment plan. I remember having a moment where I had a conversation with myself. I like to talk to myself a lot. I had a conversation with myself, really apologizing and saying, I'm really sorry that I was ever not kind to you, or I ever told you that you were fat or ugly or not strong enough or not worthy enough of anything, because I knew that it was so harmful to my, to my body and to my mind, you know? Um, So although what I'm speaking of is physical, like removing the breast and, and apologizing to my body for maybe beating up on it in a physical way, it was bigger. It was bigger than that too. It was really about knowing that that point and going forward, I really needed to invest in a different level of self-love and self-care going through treatment and all the changes that cancer brings that are not physical, you know, but are emotional and mental. And, um, I think that moment, I really changed a lot of things for me. Wow. That's a really powerful, um, share. So thank you. Cause I feel like a lot of people don't realize how, harmful saying negative things are to our bodies and how that Mm -hmm. can manifest as an illness later on in life. So I'm so happy that you came to that realization. And now coming post cancer, how is your relationship with your body now? Um, it it is still mixed at times, you know, I, I am very, very grateful for my body. Um, one of the things I think when I was diagnosed with cancer was I had to really separate the cancer and my body. So at first I felt like why is my body attacking me? Why is my body, you know, I'm not right. My soul is still young and wants to be here and has work to do. Why would my body counteract that? But what I realized was that my body wasn't part of the cancer team. My body was part of the gen team. The cancer was attacking both of us. And so we needed to work together. I know this sounds crazy, but we needed to work together to attack the cancer. And so for that reason, Um, I've had to have a lot of forgiveness for my body, a lot of, um, understanding. I mean, I just had surgery a week ago. I just had my ovaries removed actually. And yeah, that was a very, um, emotionally triggering surgery for me. And I had to, I did a little ritual where I like thanked my ovaries. I have two children. So thank you, you know, for serving me and taking care of me and, and, you know, my, my removing you is not because of you. I'm saving you from the cancer. You know, I mean, I don't have cancer now, but it's prophylactic, you know, to make sure I don't get ovarian cancer. So, you know, it was, it was a conversation I really needed to have. And I think um, as crazy as it may sound, I think that there's a communication that we need to have within ourselves, um, you know, checking in with ourselves, our physical, our emotional. So the situation with me and my self-love and my body and my, you know, 
my mentality and everything is that we need check-ins very often. We need team meetings. <laughs> we need to make sure, you know, that we're all good. Um, and it's challenging. It is challenging, especially after things like cancer, because there's a lot of PTSD. There's a lot of um, unprocessed emotions that you don't deal with while you're in, in survival mode. So uh, there's a lot of moments of just stopping and going, what do I need right now for my health, for my sanity? And setting up boundaries and letting go of the shoulds that we think, you know, we should be doing to stay healthy. So it's, it's a constant work of progress. I'm amazed that you're here during the podcast, having surgery a week ago. That's, yeah. that's, so thank you for being here, you know, of course. That's a big deal. And it's interesting that you saying that because I think a lot of people that go through physical pain and suffering and, and chronic illness are always feeling like their bodies not with them and they're attacking their body as a, that the body's doing something against them in a, kind of a victim kind of space correct. and and your mentality is is the correct one feeling like we are a team like you and your body are a team that we are here together and i yeah. feel like that's so helpful for all types of healing no matter what your hat going through it's important to feel that you yeah. and your body are here together as a team yeah. it's certainly a change of perspective because i think in society we're taught what you eat, what you do, you know, it's, it's an outward reflection of who we are in those ways and our habits. Right. And that's not always true. And I, and I think that, um, you know, I had amazing habits before I had cancer. I was very healthy. I worked out, I drank the green juice. I did the yoga. I, you know, all the things that I didn't really drink. I didn't smoke, like all the things that you say, and yet it still happened to me which is why in the beginning I felt so like, what happened here? You know, what did I do is what's, this is my fault. I took on a lot of shame and guilt. Like, what did I do to cause this? But it just doesn't work like that. You know, it's like, we just don't have control in that way. So yeah, it's a, it's a different change of perspective to what society leads us to believe. Like you can prevent the cancer if you do this, this, and that, or you can prevent obesity if you do this, this, and that, or whatever it might be, chronic pain or, you know, autoimmune or whatever the million things are that we suffer with, you know, but the truth is sometimes we can't, we can't control it. It's out of our control and we just have to check in and, and know where we need to be at any time physically and emotionally and mentally to handle it. Yeah. That's kind of where, you know, that's kind of where my faith comes in. Cause I feel like that's a lot of times we just don't know why people get certain things like why people mm-hmm. why do some people get COVID and die and other people don't right? right it's just like this bigger picture of that I don't understand yes. so and our souls have their own journeys and there was a reason why your soul needed to develop cancer right that was part of yes. its evolution of what what it needed to go through and all the things that mm-hmm. I've been through and it's really true it's about how we react and how we respond and what we choose to do afterwards because some people develop cancer and they don't have a victor mentality and they pretty much die yeah. and other people decide and some people do have a victorious mentality and still die you know I... so it's really so hard to tell like all you can do is do the best that you can in the moment and you're right like eating you know drinking green juice eating all the perfect foods sometimes yeah. it's just not it's not gonna be the thing that's gonna save you it's really about what's what your soul needs to go through and being surrendered to that and accept it and then move forward in the most positive way forward yeah surrender is a really difficult exercise in life isn't it It it's the most difficult especially when you're in a difficult situation it's easy to surrender when something good is happening you're like oh yeah of course (laughs) yeah but when something's difficult you're like I don't want to surrender to this is terrible like yeah like this is a terrible situation and yeah I feel like that's where love becomes such a powerful tool of acceptance of being like, okay, this is what I need to go through. And how, even in this terrible situation, how can I find hope and faith and the sliver of goodness, the positivity in those dark places? Like even having a little flicker of light in these dark places could be enough to like switch your whole life around and move forward in a positive way. But finding those pockets of light can be really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're, you know, can't, I say this all the time, cancer is a very lonely disease. Um, You can be surrounded by people that you love and will hold your hand, but at the end of the day, it's your veins that are getting poked with that 
poison. It's your breasts that are being cut off or whatever anybody's situation is. You know, at the end of the day, you're the one on the operating table. It's, it's a very lonely disease. And you ha- it really, I think, can make or break your relationship with yourself. Yeah. You know, absolutely. in testing who you are. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like we all feel like we're alone in so many ways, but in it's, I feel like it's an illusion of the ego of the mind to say that you're alone. You're the only one suffering because there's millions of people in the world, billions of people in the world. And it's yeah. also people on the other side. There's so much that we have that when we're all suffering in pain, we all think we're alone, which is right. so crazy. Cause I think it's one of these ways that your relationship with yourself really shines if you're able to go within and be like no i have people i have love i have you know there's nurses there's people around me that care and yeah. it takes a lot to get to get out of that and that's part of the reason why i created this podcast to show people yeah. that everyone has different experiences that makes them feel alone and and makes them feel like there's nobody out there but in reality there is and we all can find ways to connect if we if we can I wonder, do you think I'm, I'm switching it right now? Now I'm the podcaster. I have a question for you now, <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious. Do you think that COVID has changed that at all? Since it's something that we went through as a society all together. Do you think that that has changed the ability for people to connect at all? I don't know because the whole construct of COVID was made to be divisive. I feel like it was very polarizing from the very mm. beginning. Like it's just like, stay indoors, wear a mask, separate, stay six feet apart. You know, mm. like, you know, now it's like people are non-vaccinated, vaccinated. That's all they're creating all this separation. And, you know, when you put people and when you push something to the extreme, then the opposite happens for some people, for mm. some people that this is a great opportunity for them to go inside and connect, create a stronger level of faith, love their family more, mm. be closer to the people that matter to them because, you know, we could all die at any moment. Mm. So I feel like for some people, they, they were like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to love more, to take care of my people, to be in community, to figure mm. out what really matters. Does it matter that I, does this job really matter? Why don't I find something that yeah. matters to me? Because life is right. short. I Not even just that. that. It's like the, the things like what we all thought were so important about having to go to the office or having to, right. you know, like it's changed the culture of really what we place emphasis on now. Right. Exactly. Because it's like a lot of companies, I'm sure, are realizing we don't need an office. They can right. work from home. We could save money. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of things are changing and will continue to change. But I think the people that have taken this opportunity to go within are the ones that are going to come out of this whole situation victorious the other the people that are blaming the government and all their others for their problems and woes are going to find themselves in a different situation so i feel like it's a break of consciousness so people that are going to they're going to people that are going to be able to rise to the occasion and other people that are for whatever reason they can't and they're just going to follow their path so i think it's it was a very interesting last few months or a year yeah. and a half almost social experiment isn't it <laughs> on I so remember, many levels yeah i made it um video on my youtube channel like very early on in the pandemic and i said the same thing you know because covid really reminded me so much of cancer it's like you get hit by something you don't expect it it completely changes your life the only difference between covid and cancer was that literally everybody had it at the same time right like as far as the pa- being affected by the pandemic And I just remember in the video saying like, you have a choice right now, who you're going to show up as and who you want to be at the end of this. And when you look back, you can say to yourself, I sat around for a year or whatever we thought it was going to be at the time, two weeks, Uh, you know, you can sit around for this time and you can say, okay, I was lazy or I didn't do, or I was angry or, you know, I was bitter. Or you can say, you know what, I I made something of this time. And it's, it is in a way a gift and a special time that we We'll hopefully never get again, right? I, I, I know. I know that the show's I, not about COVID, but my I my point not. is that that's also sort of like the self love, right? To show up and to say like, okay, I want to make a conscious decision of who I want to be in this moment and and who I want to show up as and who I'm proud of that I can look back and say, oh, I remember the pandemic. Yeah, I learned, you know, how to do this or that, or I spent time with loved ones, or I went food shopping for my elderly parents because they couldn't or whatever it might be. It's just life is full of these choices um, that we have to make as far as how we show up. Yeah, I feel like the pandemic for me was kind of like, what matters? Nothing matters. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're not Egyptians. We're not going to 
die with all our possessions. Like, I'm, you mm -hmm. know, like nothing really matters other than my soul's development, like being mm -hmm. a good person, being loving, being caring, being of service, yeah. like everything else is meaningless. Like, so for yeah. me, that's kind of was like, for me, I was just like, okay, like, am I going to really stress about this? Eh, not so much. It doesn't really yeah. matter. Like yeah. a lot of things I was just like, I'm not even going to get mad about this anymore. Life is too short. I can die tomorrow. And right. it's really going to, so right. Is this going to be, I'm going to be on the other side thinking, am I going to really be stressing out about like my income taxes? Like, right. Right. Books like, okay, I need to get it done. But is this something worth like, all my energy you know yeah. where it's like there's more important things like I, you know did i help my neighbor you know did i was i a good person like i don't know for me i felt like those internal emotions and development was way more important than anything else i was stressing out about yeah and doesn't that lead to more self-love when you can show up as a kind loving person and you can rest your head at night and go okay i'm okay with who i am you know i i may not be perfect but i'm i'm trying to make a difference in this world Versus just sitting and being angry all the time. And that's why surrender is so beautiful and so helpful and so healthy, but it's still hard. It's very hard. It's very hard, mm -hmm. especially when we live in a country where like it's so it's value to have nice things and a nice car, a big house. And, and we're taught that hard work, you you have to work hard and you'll get this thing and if you right. want more, more, more. And it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's a different way of thinking. Right. And then you're like, okay, I have everything. Now what? Right. And now I'm more miserable than ever. Right. I have everything <laughs> yeah. I could possibly want in life. I'm yeah. a millionaire. I have a house. I have a husband. I have kids. Like that's not my real life. But, you know, if I had all these things and yeah. then, and then, and then what? So I think. COVID was like, I, you know, I had to pivot. Like I, bro I had yeah. a, I broke up with the person. I was like, me okay, too. If, if, you did too? I did too. I, I filed kinda, for divorce after. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, if this is the end of the world, you are not the man I want to be with. Like yeah. I was kind of like COVID definitely was like, no, I don't want to settle yeah. for a relationship. That's not everything I've always wanted. Yeah. And that's, and that's so important, right? With the self-love that you can make sure you're comfortable being alone. Right. Right. And it was like, especially in a time of COVID where like, you're not running out and, you know, necessarily dating right away, or, you know, maybe some people are, but I'm just saying in general, it's a much different um, system now <laughs> than I'm right? sure it was pre-COVID. Yeah. Yeah. But also with dating for me is like, you know, I'm just like, am I going to risk my life for you? Nah, yeah. <laughs> becomes like a more even more harsh reality because I'm like eh, right. is it worth it not really how kind of a kisser are you I need to know first <laughs> right I'm like, mm. so I feel like it all becomes this whole thing where it's like everything becomes more important yeah like everything is just more I place so much more value mm. on certain things because I'm like that's all that matters to me like mm -hmm. are you a good person are you kind you know yeah. like and it's just, it's just a different reality. But so many people broke up with people during COVID. It's crazy. I know. I know. Well, I also think this was not my situation, but I think it's like people spend a lot more time together. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know if I like 24 hours a day with you. Like two is okay, but 24 is kind of a lot. <laughs> I could not handle it. I couldn't <laughs> handle it. I literally was like, you went to work. I had a whole day where I didn't see you. Now you're with me all the time. I just mm -hmm. was like, I, I don't yeah. even understand how people have these types of relationships. And there are yeah. people that have those types of relationships where they they work together, they live together, they do everything my parents, together. My parents have a business together for 30 something years. They've been married almost 50 years. Their desks face each other. I'm like, what yeah. is wrong with you two? Did you ever like get away from each other? <laughs> but you know what? It works for them. Yeah. And they, you know, they're like, you know, they then they say funny stuff like, where is my socks? And the other one is right. like, oh, it's underneath there. And they have these like little cute little bickering stuff, which I've always been like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> so I, so when I filed for divorce, I lived with my parents part time. All we were like, you know, alternating time in the house. And I would say to my parents all the time, I'm going to write down every single thing that happens here because you guys are like a sitcom. It's like everyone loves Raymond. Right. It's like exactly. literally like that. You know, I, I was like, this is you guys are like, you know, my, my, <laughs> I remember my mom one day, my dad was like washing dishes and he picks up this thing and he's like, 
what is this thing called? I can't even remember the name of it now, but it's like a thing you make like creme brulee in and it's like, yeah. it has a very specific name. And he's like, is this that? Or, or would you consider this a bowl? And my mom's like, I don't know. It's like, I'm like, seriously, have you run out of things to talk about? <laughs> I was like, is this really the conversation? Or like one day my mom, she's going to kill me if she ever hears this. One day I remember they went, my dad went to Costco because it was like, my parents are like, they have to hoard the paper towels, you know, like everybody right. else. So um, my mom had something in the trunk. My dad opens the trunk. The thing falls out. And she's like, it's your fault. It's your fault that it fell out. And he's like, it's my fault. Like, I, what do you mean? I didn't even touch it. And they're like arguing. And I'm like, what are you guys arguing over? Who cares? <laughs> but you know what? It works for it them. Works for and them. they love each other. And it's like the cute. I mean, it's what everybody kind of wishes to get to in life. You know, this 50 years of like, we've just run out of things to talk about. But <laughs> <laughs> it was entertaining. I'll tell you that. I was like, you guys are the best. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be a millionaire. This divorce is going to be the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm going to write a sitcom and I'm going to be a bajillionaire and it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. I, I think my ex wanted us to be that type of couple. Yeah. But did everything together. And I was, ne I've never been that person. I think yeah. my parents worked together and yeah. they got divorced and I just saw the opposite of people that just spent too much time together that were not compatible. Yeah. And they fought so much that I vowed that I would never yeah. want to be in a relationship where I'm with, around someone all the time. Yeah. So maybe. Are you an introvert? Even though you're a podcaster. I'm a I, podcaster too, and I'm such an introvert. So I, know, I think it's a fair question. I took that test and mm. I think I'm, I'm both. Like I'm an introvert mm. or extrovert. Like I can do extrovert activities. Yeah. And I'm really good at parties and I can go like, out there I can do videos all this stuff and but when it comes to resetting and um you need a long time. I need to be alone like me I don't too. I don't do well with other people around me when I so if I'm with someone at home and they need that attention then I never can really relax yeah are you are you an empath yes yeah that's why yeah so I'm the same way I'm I'm sort of like an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert I'm not sure which one it's flip-flop sometimes but yeah I'm definitely an empath so I need to be able to have my own space literally just away from people's emotions unless it's somebody that's like so high level like their their energy really is like calming for me or whatnot and I've I've had very few people in my life like that to be very honest few. not that I don't love all the other people but there's like, I need to separate myself from people's energies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My brother's like that. He's one of the few people that he can be in, in a room with me and I don't even feel him. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is rare. Cause most right. people are like their energies just spread because as an empath, every uh, people's energies just flow to you. Like it's just, we're like these filters, which <sighs> is an amazing, it's amazing, but it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's the, my biggest blessing and my worst curse is being an empath for sure. It's like, it's hindered me in life and it's helped me in life. I mean, I remember even, um, like in relationships too, you know, like, like staying too long in relationships because you feel so bad for the other person or you're feeling their energy, things like that. I remember once I was on a plane, I'm not the best flyer. Like I fly a lot, so I do it and it's fine. You would never know, but it's not my favorite thing in the world to do. I like I love traveling. I just hate getting there, you know, that kind of thing. So I remember once I was on a plane and I was like overwhelmed with anxiety. I'm like, what is wrong with me right now? And I was like, you know what? I don't think it's mine. And I, I looked up and I saw that there was somebody like diagonal for me, like shaking their foot and like popping pills. And I was like, oh, okay. So I need to like separate myself from this person right now. You know, I was like, I don't have the capacity to handle this. We got to separate. And like, but yeah, that's, it's hard. It's hard when you're, you know, and you don't even, some people don't even know their empaths. They don't know that they're picking up somebody else's feelings or energies. Right. Yeah. Undiagnosed empaths always feel like they're in constant depression or anxiety, but a large part of that, those emotions are other people's. Yeah. yeah you know, and it, being an empath is intense. You kind of have to create your own space. Like sleeping mm -hmm. in the same bed with someone night after night is just not something I can really do. I am so glad you brought this up. Whose idea was that in the first place? Like I ask this all the time, like, why is it just because you're married, you have to sleep in the same bed? Like this has to be a guy thing and it has to come back to sex. Like that's oh, all I can really I, figure I, out. I don't get it because our whole life we, we sleep alone and all of a sudden we're in a partnership and we sleep together. And I'm like, I don't understand how, especially if you're an adult, you've lived your old, whole life and now yeah. you want to be, I just, I just can't like, I remember in my last relationship, 
thinking, I don't think I can do this every yeah. night. Yeah. Cause, and then when I got into, when we, we broke up and I slept in my own bed, I finally slept like right. a deep sleep. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't been sleeping really because yeah. you're kind of always on edge like absorbing yeah. other people's energy like he moves you move it's like never yeah there's never like... a separation yeah it's funny because when I slept in my bed for the first time when we separated I we, I've been with my ex for almost 21 years like I was like I'm gonna sleep by myself I was like oh that was cool <laughs> you know like it's so weird because you do something so long one way and then all of a sudden you're like wait I can do it another way and it's not as scary as I thought it was gonna be yeah, I know a few married couples that sleep in separate beds. Yeah. And they love it. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because like when you say it, then I go, oh, it's so sad. Like in my mind, I'm like, oh, I happen to love that time. I think if for me, if it was with the right person, I would totally be cool with it. But I have expanded my horizons of thinking about how relationships should work. And I realize, I think, um, in my divorce that relationships are not all like one size fits all. So I think if a couple is like, this is what works for us, then great. I mean, why not? I feel like it's nice to have options. Yeah. Like I like to be open and flexible. And I think as an empath or a sensitive person in general, we kind of, we kind of always need to shift things. Like I could do something one way, one week. Yeah. And the next week that doesn't work for me, especially being cycling with my period and everything that's certain times in the month. Like I don't really want to be bothered with anybody else right now. I just want to lay down, bleed peacefully. Right. like not have to deal. But I also think that you are, I get the impression you're quite a bit younger than me. So I think that I'm not going to ask your age because it's rude, but I think that, um, I have a daughter who's 16 and I see like in her generation and in even a little bit older, it's not in my generation. Let's put it that way, that the younger generation than mine I see that there is a lot more acceptance of flexibility of lifestyle, right. sexuality, marriage. There's a different fluidity that doesn't exist in my generation. And I see that like my, you know, a lot of my friends will be like, I don't understand what these kids are doing. And I'm like, you're so old, you know, but, <laughs> but I think that that's part of it. Like accepting that there's more than one way and however it works for somebody in any capacity. I agree. Okay. Well, I don't think I'm that much younger than you. I'm actually 40, so I don't know. Okay, I'm 46, yeah. but you look way younger than me, so amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I agree. I think that's kind of the, the struggle for me, you know, in dating because people my age have a, are very like, yeah. and then these younger people are younger, so it's kind of like, eh. yeah. But yeah, I don't know. The, yeah. I know talking to my teenage clients, they're really fun. They're like, they're like into their sexuality is super fluid. They're like, oh yeah, I'll date a trans person. And I'll yeah. like, I'm non-binary. I'm just like, whoa, like that was yeah. not the conversation I had when I was a teenager. No, I remember my daughter came home, she was 14 and, and I, she went to sleepaway camp and I said to her, you know, are there any kids in your bunk, any girls in your bunk that are, don't identify as straight? And she was like, oh yeah, like this one's bisexual, that one's bisexual, that one's pan. And I was like, wait, pan? Like I had to look it up. It was like, you know, I, I was like, what does that even mean? I looked it up and and the other side of it is like this, this self-awareness. I'm like, you're 14. She hadn't even had any experiences, but she knew where she lied. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, it's crazy. It's crazy. Right. It's, it's a very, I love picking her brain and her friend's brains about these things about dating. Like I mm-hmm. recently was talking to these girls about like, is there any exclusivity anymore? Like if you, if you're dating a boy and, and he's dating you, are you guys like exclusive and they're like, not really. It doesn't really work like that anymore. It's just so weird. It's so crazy. You know, like when I was younger, not only were we exclusive, but you put like jewelry on that girl that basically said she's my property. Right. <laughs> like no putting a jacket on her or a school ring or a piece right. of jewelry that like, you know, like this is my girl, you know, right. like, it's just so crazy. But okay. I just love learning about how they they think and how they approach things. And part of me is like super excited for that generation. And because I think it requires a next level of self-awareness at such a young age to really know what they want. And the other part of me is like frightened for them, you know, because it's like, how well do you really know yourself at 16, 17, 20, 25, you know, it's like, you're making decisions based on this, which we all did too, by the way, which is why we're all getting divorced. But you know, (laughs) it's true. Like, how do you decide the rest of your life when you're 25 years old, you know, but I just, I think it's so interesting. It really is. And I think, it, you know, they're going to figure it out like we did. Like it was, yeah. it's, 
it's really fascinating for me to like listen and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Like that they're just so open. At, so it's going to be curious to see how the family structures are going to yeah. shift as we get older, like the family units, like what, you know, all, there's going to be a lot more blended families and mm -hmm. just a whole different viewpoint about life and race and gender and sexuality. It's going to be yeah. a different world. Well, even when I was younger, I'm sure you experienced this too. Like to see a black and a white couple was like jungle fever. Oh, it's so I know. It's so a big deal. And now it's like, who cares? You know, like it's, right. I mean, at least in New York, you know, I realize I don't live in the middle of the country, but at least in New York, like you don't, you don't assume anybody's nationality yeah. or religion based on their last name or their skin color or anything. It's like, you know, everything has become so blended in the last even 20 years. I think it's amazing. Yeah. When I was 20 and I lived in New York, my boyfriend was white and we didn't, I didn't see a lot of black women with white men and, yeah. and we would always get kind of like these looks and it was kind of like this thing. And now, then eventually, like a, even like a few years later, I went back to New York and it was way more couples that were yeah. like that and it wasn't yeah. as big of a deal. But right. I think I was kind of like at the end of that cycle yeah. where now it's like nobody thinks twice about it. Right. In, I mean, on the West Coast and East Coast, I mean, the middle of the country is its own different thing. But right. yeah, in the cities, for sure, it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah, you know, I live in the Bay Area and God knows everyone's mixed here with polyamory right. and right. queer, non-binary. There's all sorts of like configurations. And <laughs> I get we need like a guidebook. What are you and how do yeah, I like, say your name and, and who like, and how do I what's your right. pronoun? What's your pronoun? Like it's <laughs> definitely a different world out here where um you it's it's interesting. You're kind of always like, oh, OK, that's what's happening. So it's mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing to watch how it all develops. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I think about like high school and kids couldn't even really come out as gay, they had so much, you know, shame and fear about it. And now it's like, cool. You know, it's like, oh, cool. I think that's cool. You know, right. I don't know. They don't even blink. They're like, oh, I'm gay. No, I'm, like, oh, I'm, I'm gay. gay. I'm, I'm seven. I'm like, okay. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I believe that people are born a certain way. So I understand how they would know it, but I just think it's uh, always just so interesting. It's like, okay. I mean, you're not like, it doesn't matter it's seven you know like that's cool but it, it's just amazing that they know and it's I just think it's awesome because it I think awesome yeah. I think also like when when you talk about self-love right like they if if a kid can tell you I'm trans or I'm gay or I'm whatever they are or I'm straight or whatever and and they're comfortable with that it's like you have such a, an ability as a parent to be like good I love you it doesn't matter to me either way. And you operate in this world the way you want to operate in this world. And I accept you. And like, that's such an ability for them to accept themselves too. If you have a parent that's like that. If, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of us learn how to love, right? It's from our parents. Like yeah. our parents are accepting of who we are, then we yeah. become accept. It's easier for us to accept ourselves. Totally. But if our parents were critical or conditional with their love or yeah whatever, then that's how we perceive love is. And then we have a whole adulthood of unpacking. Yes. What our parents, um, what we perceived our parents did to Correct. us. Correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. Do you have kids? No. Okay. So I, what I've realized with my kids is that they do perceive things very differently than what the truth is. Mm -hmm. And I've, it's really um, allowed me to go back into my childhood and go, you know, I used to think like my mom was crazy, but now I realize it's just because she had children. Like she was yelling at us because we didn't listen, not because she was crazy, you know, um, whatever it was. But it's, it's so interesting because it's like, my kids will repeat things back to me. And I'm like, that's not really what happened actually. <laughs> you know, like that's not really the truth. Um, so yeah, that perspective is like the very, that we don't account for when we parent right right and i mean there are situations that happened when i was a kid that was so intense and i remember talking to my mom about it and she was like mm, that's yeah. not really what yeah. happened but your emotional self well your brain isn't matured right. And you perceive things in a certain way. And I also feel like that's whatever your soul needs to go through. It uses yeah. life as a way to show you certain lessons Yes. that so things would hurt you so deeply that the other person has no awareness yeah. that it, for them, it was just like a moment, but for yeah. you, it like pivoted and changed your whole life. Yeah. So those are those moments where I would go back and talk to my mom and she'd be like, what? Yeah.
That's cool. Yeah. And I realized it's pointless even talking to my mom about those things or my father, because for them, it was just like they were surviving. They had little kids. They were trying to pay rent. They were trying to do all these things. Yeah. So those moments were not as de defining as they were for me. Yeah. And they were just opportunities for me to heal yeah. and forgive them and like work through as an adult. But really, I feel like a, a being an adult is letting go of your childhood, a large part of it. <laughs> yeah. And even if you had a good childhood, like I had a great childhood, but I'm just as messed up as everybody else, you know, like it's, yeah. Yeah. And being a teenager is, I mean, middle school alone oh, is years of therapy just for those three years. It's um, horrible. They should just make the middle school building like a therapeutic, like psychiatric I mean, hospital. <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> middle yeah. school was so difficult yeah. emotionally just that whole time. And then, then you go from there to high school and high school is in mess. And can you imagine social media, all this stuff? I'm just like, I look at these kids. I'm like, well, you guys are so resilient because I don't think I would have, my empathic sensitive self would have survived. Facebook. Yeah, they're not, they're not as resilient as you think. I mean, mental health for girls, I'm dealing with it with my daughter and I see her friends, like the mental health situation for teenage girls right now is tragic. Yeah, I heard that suicidal rate in, in Britain is the highest ever. Yeah, it's tragic. And I don't know how it took me years to become confident in myself. You know, it yeah. took me pretty much until my 30s. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, I know when I hit 40, that's when I really started questioning everything. You know, like, is that the truth? Like, just was I raised to believe this? And I look, I had to go through that again with my divorce because I was really raised in a home where you work things out and divorce is not an option and marriage is important and commitment is important. And that's how I was raised. And that's what I believed. And that's what I based my whole life on. And then I was in a situation where I didn't really have an option. I knew that divorce was my only option. And I always say that I didn't just file for divorce. I didn't just break up a relationship. I, well, I didn't break up the relationship, but you know, I, I didn't just walk away from a relationship. What I did was I left a cult because my entire life I was groomed to believe two kids, white picket fence, husband, job, nice car, good education, you know, the whole thing. And, um, I had to really like face myself and my belief system. And I remember walking into the divorce attorney's office and just saying, take my money and file before I change my mind, because I know that this is the right thing, but it, it feels awful right now. It feels like it's going against every single thing that I believe and that I was taught to believe and that I'm, I'm around. And, um, a lot of it was self-inflicted. I've learned now, like I used to think it was like, well, everybody put that on me, but now I realize I see my parents' relationship and I can joke about them all I want, but they have a beautiful relationship. And I always wanted to be married 50 years. You know, they're coming up on their 49th anniversary and I'm like, oh, it's so jealous. Like, I think that's such an accomplishment, but I've put that, that uh, weight on it, you know? And now I had to take part of my self-love was really to take the opportunity to say, you know, what's an accomplishment living a true life, living a life where you're happy. And if that means leaving your marriage and finding somebody else eventually and being married for 10, 20, 30 years instead of 50, but happily that's okay too. Or not getting married again is okay too. Or, you know, whatever it is that I want my life to look like, but it's taken me a year to get to that, you know, and in the beginning it was like, no, I'm going against everything that I believe. And so I had to start unraveling. What are all the other things that I believe? Are they even true? You know, some things were and some things were not. And to forgive yourself, right? Like that's such a, such a big part of the self-love is like to, I had to really say to myself, because I, I stayed in my marriage longer than I should have. And I, I really had to forgive myself for that, you know, and say, you know what, it's not that you weren't strong. It's not that you weren't resilient. It's you were doing what you believed was the right thing at the time. And, um, fixing that going forward and making sure those mistakes don't repeat themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like having self-love and is so courageous because you are taking your life and your power back. Yeah. Like, you know, being like, I'm not going to live for somebody else. I'm going to live for myself. Like I'm going to. It's gonna so ugly though. It's so ugly. Like, the, you know, I have these conversations with a lot of friends who are seeing me go through this and, and I get a lot of whispers of like, I'm so jealous or I'm in a, I'm a happy relationship. I don't have the guts to leave. I don't. 
And I say to them all the time, like we are trained to believe in this world that happiness is rainbows and unicorns. But the truth of the matter is that really getting to your true root happiness is the ugliest, dirtiest thing you'll ever do. It's heart-wrenching. It's, it's, um, it's hard. It is hard work. And we think we see somebody happy and they're just like, it's so easy for them, but it's really the opposite. I think when you see people really happy, really free of the burdens of society and their own minds and, and whatnot, that they probably lost a lot of relationships. They set up a lot of boundaries. They've probably lost jobs and, and opportunities and have been very lonely and have cried a lot and been through trauma. And it is not a pretty process to find your true self and your true happiness. It's really ugly. And unless people are really willing to dig in and do that work and get dirty, they're never going to achieve that. No. And that's why most people don't. Yeah. Because it, it, it does take a lot of work, a lot of commitment, tenacity. Suffering. Big suffering. suffering. And also being surrendered to the suffering and to being surrendered to the pain. Because you you know yes. your journey towards self-love is going to be painful. It's so this is like, this was such a uh, mindset shift for me over the last year. I filed for divorce about a year ago. And I had moments where I was just leveled and leveled in pain that I've never felt before. And I've had six surgeries in the last, uh, you know, three years. I mean, I pain, I have never felt before internally. And I just, and I isolated, I really, I did that whole sort of like, I'm just going to isolate from everybody. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to sit in, and I don't want to drink. I wouldn't let myself drink. I wouldn't do like anything that distracted me from the pain. And I just would sometimes just lay there and feel the pain. And I would repeat to myself over and over again, this is healing. This is healing. This is what's happening. We have to undo before we redo. And I, I would try to say to myself, the more pain I feel, the more healing I'm having. So it almost became like a positive reinforcement, like, oh, good. I feel pain coming. Here we go. Let's, you know, we're going to heal. That. That's so Even good. though it was, it was impossibly hard in the moment. And it was, it was very tempting to want to do a thousand things to numb it. And I was like, I'm not going to do that because I knew that when I was really ready to move on, it would come back and haunt me, you know? You have to purge it when it's there. It's like when yeah. you're trying to vomit and you're trying to hold it back in. Like it's just not. <laughs> Which I do all the time because you. <laughs> we all do. Like when we feel these emotions, we don't want to purge it. We hold it back in. But when we hold it back in, it's doing more harm. Because right? then now it's building momentum. And now somebody can say something, flip it, and you get triggered. And all this pain is like exploding. And then you just throw it on the wrong person. Right. You wonder why people have anger issues or, right. you know, addiction or all the different things. And I'm not, I'm not blaming. I understand it. You know, it's, it's so much easier to drink the drink or, you know, go shopping or ignore the thing. You know, it's, it's so much easier to do that. But in the end, it's just, it ruins you in internally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into some infinite love questions. Sure. So my first question is, how do you express love in your work? Oh, well, uh, I'm a photographer. We haven't mentioned that yet. I'm a photographer. I'm a women's empowerment photographer to make it really short. <laughs> I get in there. Uh, but I do um, photo shoots of women, mostly at this point, breast cancer survivors and thrivers, but not exclusively. Uh, really, I work with mostly women that had had some sort of trauma in their life or some sort of big event, which could be a good or a bad, you know, divorce, marriage, uh, 40th birthday, new baby, loss of breasts, whatever it might be. Um, and I photograph them and I help them see how amazing they are. So um, how do I show love? I, I would say that really being present with them. You know, I had recently a photo shoot that I did of a woman who just got out of an abusive relationship. She was in one of these relationships where she like escaped at three in the morning. You know, it was not like she packed her stuff in bags and like threw it out the window and ran, you know, it was really bad. And he had um, done a lot of really abusive things, including taking pictures of her, horrible pictures of her, actually like ugly pictures when she didn't really know, posting them on Facebook and making comments about how ugly she was. And it really scarred her. And so what happened was when she came to me, she said, I think I'm at the point of my healing where I'm ready for a photo shoot to see who I am. And I picked up the camera and she bawled. 
And it took us over an hour for me to just take the first picture because she had such bad PTSD that every time I lifted the camera to take a picture of her, she couldn't tolerate it. And so I think just having the patience to be present with somebody and sit with them and say, okay, we're going to just, we'll take this at your speed. And, you know, if we take three pictures today, we take three pictures. That's okay. If we take 300, that's okay too, you know, and it's okay to cry and I'll cry with you. And I want to hear about your experiences and I'll share my experiences with you. And that's especially true in the breast cancer arena, that exchange of healing that goes back and forth between me and the person in front of my lens is like, amazing because they, I see them as inspirational and strong and they see me that way. And it's like, I'm like, Oh, I'm just a reflection of you. You know, um, today, even today I had a meeting before this with a client to see her pictures. And she said to me, you know, you're such a talented photographer. And I said, I'm not a talented photographer at all. I'm capturing what I see. It's very, that's all I'm doing. You know, it's not about the photography. It's like you are bringing the aura, the essence, the femininity, the beauty. I'm just snapping the the camera, you know? so that's how I show love to women. I, ref- I I'm a mirror and I reflect back to them and I'm present with them. Beautiful. Thanks. Where has forgiveness brought more love into your life? Oh, self-love for sure. I mean, I think we've kind of discussed that. I mean, I had a lot to forgive myself for a lot. Um, I spent many nights beating myself up over decisions I should have made or things I should have done differently. And to come to the point where I've accepted and forgiven myself for the decisions I made, because in the moment I was in survival mode or in the moment I was doing what I thought was right. Um, And to know that I'm going to make a million more mistakes in my life, you know, and I'm going to have to forgive myself for those too. Um, But that they've all brought me to where I am right now. And, And it's hard to feel that way when you're not in a good place, but when you're in a better place and it makes a little bit more sense, it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why I made that stupid decision. It's, it was stupid, but it got me to where I was, you know, supposed to be. So I'm good with it. Good. Yeah. Forgiveness is everything. Yeah. What is, and by the way, and by the way, I want to say forgiveness for people that have hurt me and, and, uh, intentionally or not. And I think mostly like in my relationship, you know, I have forgiven, um, it's a very, it's, I made it, I made a very strong pact with myself that I was not going to carry hate and resentment through the rest of my life because of what has happened to me in the past, whether it's my relationship or cancer or whatnot. I think that I can be angry, let's say at my ex, all I want, I have plenty of reason to be, but if I hold on to that anger, that becomes mine. Right. So I need to forgive so that it's, it's not mine. Yeah. What is the most compassionate act someone has done for you? So, um, I don't know if this is the, the most compassionate. I hope that I'm not um, forgetting things. But one thing that comes to mind particularly, there, there's a few, but one thing that comes into mind particularly was that um, in January 2017, I got a phone call from a woman who is a photographer. I didn't know her very well, um, but I, I knew her somewhat. And she called me saying that she was having a mastectomy. She was 30. She had just turned 30. I just got diagnosed with breast cancer. And will you fit me in for a photo shoot? And I was like, yeah, of course I'll fit you in. And she said, you know, how much is it? And I said, look, I'm not going to charge you. Um, What I'm going to ask you to do is pay it forward. That's the most important thing. So I'll do this for you. And then one day you pick up your camera and do it for somebody else. Because I think that's really important Uh, or, or pay it back in some other way. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, she was my first phone call. And I didn't know her like super well, but I just, you know, her session really stuck with me. I just remember thinking, how do you cut off your breasts? How do you go to the hospital and cut off your breasts? Like, who does that? How do you do that? How do you, how do you resolve that to be the answer, you know, and, and how do you physically go there and do it? I don't understand. Like it just stuck with me. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, she was my first call and she showed up for me and she, um, about a week before my surgery came and brought me like a ton of stuff. She was like, this is me paying it back. I'm going to bring you all the stuff that you need for your surgery. And she really helped calm me and support me. And um, I also have another friend who showed up for me during my cancer that said to me, I'm going to call you every day. And if you want to talk about cancer, I'm here for it. And if you don't, we can talk about anything you want. If you just want to feel normal for five minutes, 
I'll sit with you in that. And I was like, that's amazing. You know, and she was an, uh, an amazing friend. So when I think about how people showed up, especially around a time of illness is really very touching to me. It's beautiful. It's amazing to have such good friends like that. Yeah. What do you love most about your life? Um, hmm. Wow. Jeez, there's so much. What do I love the most about my life? So immediately, like, I want to say my children, I love being a mom because I do. It's like so much of who I am and I love caring for them. But I want to like, I think, bring it back to me. And what I love about my life is that I'm learning at 46 years old that I can do anything I want to do in my life. And I have the freedom and the ability to do it. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. And where has love created a miracle in your life? Hmm. So, um, I have a um, really strong belief that love is medicine. Um, and I think that just as So I meet a lot of women that have had breast cancer. I I do a lot of work in the breast cancer arena. I'm an advocate. I wrote a book. I have programs, you know, the whole thing. So I meet a lot of women and a lot of women are in abusive relationships and end up getting cancer. I do believe I've never done a study, but I believe in my heart, there's a correlation between traumas and abuse and whatnot and and breast cancer, especially because it's so close to the heart. Um, I believe just as chemotherapy and radiation and hormone blockers and surgeries and all the things are medicine for cancer, so is love. And one of my goals is just to fill my life with as much love as possible from the right sources, because I believe that it's medication. I really do. And I, and it has only good side effects. <laughs> so yeah, I love yeah. that. It's yeah. on my website. Love is medicine. Like I, yeah. Absolutely believe that because you no matter what, how many pills you take, surgeries, foods, all of that, like if there's no love in your life, it's almost like there's no life force. There's like, it's like, it's the life force that keeps us all connected and keeps us moving. And it's the universal healer. So being able to tap into that love really can shift your life from being black and white to being technicolor. Yes. And I think that the love, we have to be very careful to make sure the love is not filling us, but adding to our life that, that, that love need the, the self-love is what needs to fill us. And the other love just raises that vibration a thousand times. And, and self-love allows us to be open to love from other people, because if you don't have that self-worth and that self-love, you're going to be shutting people out all the time that are probably good for you, you know? So, and, and certainly letting in people that are bad for you, if you don't have enough self-love, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I don't remember. What was your original question? <laughs> uh, uh, where has love created a miracle in your life? Yeah, so I think that for me, um, love is very healing, very healing for me. Nice. I knew well, that I was getting somewhere with that. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how can people connect with you and um, follow you? Yeah, so the, you if they wanted to. Yeah, the, um, so I have a website, jenrosenbaum.com. My last name is spelled with a Z, it confuses everybody. Um, and I'm most active on Instagram. I post almost every day on Instagram and they're real live posts. So every day, I like nothing scheduled. Every day is really what's on my mind and what's going on with my life. Um, you know, post-cancer, I do a lot of breast cancer advocacy there, but also I show um, photo shoots of the women that I work with and tell their stories. So, um, I like to think of it as a little inspiring home on the internet. So Jen Rosenbaum is just my handle there. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I loved connecting with you and I am wishing you all the best and sending you lots of love. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and tune in on Tuesdays for new episodes. For more information about me, please follow me on Instagram at Corinne J. Camara and my website, CorinneCamara.com. Sending you lots of infinite love.